Welcome to Destiny Church's weekly podcast. We're a church located in Columbia, Maryland, right between D.C. and Baltimore. And we're so glad that you decided to listen to our podcast. If you're looking for a message of hope, purpose, and destiny, then you're tuned into the right place. If you have any testimonies of what God has done in your life as a result of listening to this podcast, please email us at stories at yourdestiny.church. We love to hear how God is impacting people's lives through what he's doing at our church. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear from God as we jump into this week's message. John chapter 2, verse 1, and it says this. On the third day, there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. The party's over. This is unacceptable. We we have a whole bunch of of, of Nigerians in this church and Africans. We have so many Africans, I tell people that I'm an African pastor, and they're like, really? I'm like, no, not really, but I might as well be. Oh, if you've ever been to an African wedding, you know it's kind of, especially the traditional wedding, it's a little different than us Americans do. Us Americans, when we give people a check, we write it and we put it in a card and we hand it to them. Uh, Nigerians in particular, they don't write checks. They go and get a wad of cash out the bank and, it's, and they throw it. It's just, if you've, if you've never been, you gotta, it's, 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 it is un. Believable. I have a bunch of friends that are Korean and they have their traditional Korean uh, a, a wedding process. And there's just some beautiful kind of cultural things when it comes to weddings, but nothing compared to what they used to do in the Bible. You think you've been to a wedding, oh, we were there at three in the morning. Ah! No, no, no. They were there for five days. <laughs> weddings in Bible days were a week long affair. Part of the problem is you travel three days just to get there. Like, you ain't fitting to go back after a three hour se- No, we gonna get turned at this wedding. I'm not going home. We gonna, we gonna celebrate your union. A couple done left and you're still there partying. Well, they were a few days into this wedding and they ran out of wine. And Mary's mom said, this is, uh, I mean, Joseph's mom, Mary said, this is unacceptable. We can't party without wine. What in the world? This is gonna be a ratchet message, by the way. They have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus said, hey, nobody knows that I'm the Messiah yet, and it's not time for me to start doing miracles. His mother said to the servant, she just ignored him. She didn't even care what he had to say. Whatever he says, you do it. Now there was a set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Jesus was the Messiah, the creator of the universe, 100% God, but he was still a son. And not just son of God, he was the son of Mary. So he did what he was told. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, the servants knew who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And then the guests have, when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. The guy was confused. The host of the wedding, he said, here's what happens in our culture. We bring out the good wine first. And then after everybody gets a little turnt, 
Then we start bringing out the cheap wine, but nobody notices because they're already drunk, so it's just all worked out. He said, you did it backward. That stuff you gave us on Monday, that was nasty compared to what you're serving right now. How many people know that we serve a God that always saves the best for last? I don't care how long you've known him. I don't care how long you've served him. You have not even begun to experience the goodness of God. Your best days are ahead of you. Father God, we're grateful. God, we're thankful. God, that you are one that we can build our life upon, that we cannot be shaken. Father God, we need you now more in this moment than we've ever needed you before. God, we're praying over those 30 families that while we're in church, God, they're grieving the loss of a loved one. God, you said in your word that you're close to the brokenhearted. God, I pray even now in the midst of this hateful tragedy, God, that you would show yourself strong. And God, that you would turn it around for your good. God, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Before we sit down, high five two people. Tell somebody, now faith. Come on, tell somebody, now faith, now faith, now faith. Now faith, now faith, now faith. We are starting a brand new series today called Now Faith. Somebody yell back at me. Somebody say, now, now. Faith. faith. Come on, one more time. Say, now, now. Faith. faith. We're talking about now faith. Not yesterday's faith, not last week's faith, not next week's faith, but a faith that is now, a faith that is present, a faith that is real. Faith is the most valuable thing that you will have as a believer because you have no access to God outside of faith. You have no access to God doing something great in your life outside of faith. Faith. And unfortunately, so many of us, what we believe is faith is not actually faith, it's Disney. Yeah. There, there's a movie that, that just came out called Aladdin. Anybody went and saw the real, real Aladdin? Yeah, how was it? Was it good? It was good? That's cool. I saw it already back in the 90s, so I just figure out, uh, I, just, like, I was talking to somebody that said, hey, 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 they're talking about Lion King, and they're like, oh, don't spill it, don't spill it, I, I haven't seen Lion King yet. And I'm like, it, it came out 23 years ago. Um, Mufasa dies. I'm sorry. Uh, don't mean to spill it. But the movie Aladdin came out, and I haven't seen the new one, but I saw the old one. And, and, and as I was watching it and just kind of thinking back over it, it struck me that a lot of people believe in a genie. They don't believe in a God. And we think faith is very similar to the movie Aladdin. You've never seen the movie, there, there's this genie or this magician or whatever it may be that lives in a, a, a lantern or oil jar or whatever it may be. And if you have this jar, you have access to three wishes. And all you have to do is rub the jar the right way. And if you rub it, then, then the genie comes out and, and he says, hey, I'll give you three wishes. And you make your three wishes. And when you've had your three wishes, you're just done. Some of us have that mindset when it comes to God. If I just rub him the wrong way. If I tithe him the right way, if I worship the right way, if I have perfect church attendance, then all of a sudden I'm going to have access to God doing my wishes more than somebody else. We're getting ready to go into 21 days of prayer, and I'm just going to be your pastor forever, or at least for the next 21 days. And I, 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 this goes on. I judge people. I do. I judge people. Um, it's not necessarily judgment, though. It's discernment. And I, I, actually, that wasn't funny. I was being serious, but that's okay. <laughs> but um, 
I'll, I'll watch people in prayer and I'll see the torment on their face. And I'll watch their body language and please, I, I don't, I'm just pastoring right now. And I'll look and I'll say, that's not God, that's not prayer, and that's not faith. Because it's as if they're trying to convince God to be on their side. Oh, God. Jesus! Oh. You're not going to have a voice by day 10. Your back is going to hurt. And I'm a pacer, so I'm not saying that there's not passion in prayer and all that other good stuff. But prayer is not trying to get God's attention by your torment. It's not, God, if you can see how badly I contort myself, then you're going to feel bad for me or think that I'm spiritual or think that I'm worthy of an answer to prayer. Your worthiness didn't come from you waking up at 6 a.m. and came into prayer. Your worthiness came when he hung on the cross and dropped his blood so that your past can be forgiven and your future secure. We don't serve a God that we have to earn his miracles and power in our lives. We serve a God that says, I've freely given it. Matter of fact, when he sent the disciples out to pray for people, this is what he said. He said, freely you have received. Now freely give. In other words, you didn't, you didn't pay for that. You didn't pray for that. You didn't tithe for that. You didn't work for that. And hey, is it good to tithe? Is it good to pray? Is it good to go to church and all that? Yes, and we'll talk throughout this series where that fits in. But faith is not hoping and wishing that God will move. What I want to do today is I want to give you an airtight definition of this is what faith is. Then over the next few weeks, we're going to learn how do I build my faith so that my faith can produce. Listen to me. Your faith will produce the life that God has for you. Faith is the reason why I have a healthy son right now. When in pregnancy, the doctor said, hey, there's a hole in his stomach and we're concerned. We're not quite sure where it's going to go. And then when he was born, he was born 100% healthy. That didn't happen from wishing or hoping. That happened from faith. Faith is what allowed my mother to live for 15 years past being diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. When the doctor told her to go home and put your affairs in order, there's nothing we can do. You have three months to live. 15 years later, that same doctor said, is somebody praying for you? An unbelieving doctor said, somebody must be praying because this is just different. There's no reason why you should still be here. It's faith that God has given us to access the kingdom of God. The problem is we have a misconception of what faith is. Faith is not emotion. Faith is not, yes, he's going to do it, or, oh, I don't know. Those are emotions, but that's not faith. Faith is not optimism. You ever met those super spiritual Christians that they're so full of faith that they don't believe in reality? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, their nose is running. <laughs> Are you sick? Nope, I'm healed by stripes. I'm healed. They get in a car accident, you pull up to the scene. Are you okay? I'm too blessed to be stressed. Do you know that you can be sick and still full of faith? You can look at a car wreck and say, this stinks. And that doesn't mean you don't have faith. Optimism is not faith. Can, can, I, can, I, can I really come for your life? Can I tell you what's not faith? God, your will be done. <laughs> 
It's 10 a.m. Y'all strong folks, right? So I can just say it like it is. I don't got to clean it up, do I? That's a cowardice prayer. Because here's what, God, your will be done. It's God, I'm not going to pin you to something specific. Because I'm not quite sure if you're going to do it or if you're not. And I don't want to be disappointed. So I'm going to throw out this big, ambiguous, your will. And God, feel free. Well, you're breathing and you breathing is his will. So your prayer has been answered. Hmm? Take it a step further. Faith is not salvation. Some of us feel that faith is the point that I put my hope in Jesus for him to forgive me of my sins. And once I've done that, then there's no need for faith that past that point. Now, let me talk slowly. Faith is the only way you receive salvation. You receive salvation not through living perfect because we all mess that one up. We don't receive salvation through doing good works because God says the best that you can do is like filthy rags compared to God. Our faith is what gives us access to salvation, believing that because he hung on a cross, died, and shed his blood, that my past can be forgiven. And putting my faith in Jesus' salvation is what makes me a Christian. But I don't put faith on a shelf after that. The same thing that I need in faith for salvation is the faith that I need for a new job. It's the same faith that I need for a door to be open, for healing, for whatever it may be. Faith is not something that I start my salvation with and I leave behind. It's something that God has given me to work every single day of my life. So the first thing is this. Write this down. Write this down. Faith knows that he can. What is faith? There's three components to faith. The first component to faith is knowing that God is able to do whatever you're expecting him to do. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says this, but without faith, somebody say faith, without faith, without faith it is impossible to please him. I, I love God's word because there's some very important things that God left out of this verse. He said, without faith, it's impossible to please him. He didn't say without prayer, without tithing, without holiness. And he said in the word, he said, hey, do this without neglecting all the former things. So he said, not that those things aren't important, but you can be a tither, a prayer, a worshiper, and God still not be pleased. Because faith is what pleases God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. What? That he is the creator of the universe. That he's all powerful. That he can. And that he's a rewarder of those who won't let up on him. But that will expect him to perform according to his capabilities. Uh, I, I, I have played basketball throughout my life. I have been uh, average at best. I'm very fast and athletic, so that's about all I have going for me, and I've worked it up until my phenomenal career sophomore year in high school, in which I retired. <laughs> but and anybody who's ever seen, uh, you know, playing at a, at a park or street ball or whatever it may be, or even watching on television, when, when you're picking your team, you, you pick your team based on their ability. And if you're smart and you get to pick you pick the most talented first. 
It's always difficult when you go to a party, you're getting ready to play ball, and you get in there, and you get to pick a team, but you didn't get there early enough to see anybody play. So you don't actually know how good they are. So what do you do? You pick the tallest person first. And you just figure you're tall, you must be able to hoop. There is nothing more annoying than having somebody on your team that is tall and they can't dunk. That's called height for no reason. It's a waste. Give it to somebody who's going to use it. But you pick based on the talent, and then based on the talent that you have on your team are based on the expectations that you have of those people. And when that game starts, you check the ball in, and the first thing you do is you pass it to the most talented person, which was never me, because you know their ability. Faith is saying that Jesus is on my team, and I know his talent. So I'm going to pass my problem to him instead of being James Harden and hogging the ball. <laughs> Faith is, I know that he can. I love what Mary did. She said, Jesus, we've run out of wine. She didn't go to one of the attendants and say, run to Wegmans. Does Wegmans sell wine? They must. I don't know. Anyway, they sell everything. <laughs> she, she didn't say, oh, tell them that the part. No, no, no. She went to Jesus because she knew that he could do something. Yeah. And because I like to argue for a living, I also like to punch holes in other people's messages. And I've heard people preach messages about this story. And they said, well, of course Mary knew that Jesus could perform miracles. By the way, this is the first miracle that Jesus ever performed in scripture. And she said, of course she knew that Jesus could perform miracles because he grew up in our house. Surely she would have seen Jesus perform miracles as he was growing up. Could you just imagine, you know, they're out playing and they're playing with little Fluffums, the family dog, and then Fluffums right out in the street and gets hit by a chariot. <laughs> Fluffums dead. Everybody's crying. Judas, uh, Jesus' little brother, James, is like, oh, my gosh, Fluffums is gone. And Jesus at 13 says, peace be unto you. Fluffums, rise. Fluffums goes, <laughs> like they say, you know, surely Jesus would have performed miracles as a child. You know, Jesus is 14, gets invited to his first pool party, but Mary's like, you're the Messiah, and I don't trust you around these little Nazarite women, so I'm going to go with you. So Jesus goes to the pool party, and Mary's like, Jesus, Jesus, what, mom? In the water, not on the water. Jesus <laughs> just walking on water at the pool party. It's like when she grew up with Jesus, so surely she would have seen him perform miracles, so that's why she had faith that he could. I don't believe that. Matter of fact, Jesus' response to Mary was, my time has not yet come. In other words, Jesus said, it's not time for me to perform miracles and approve to everybody that I'm Messiah. I'm waiting for the right timing, the timing of which my father had sent me. I don't think Jesus was performing miracles throughout. Hey, Jesus, did you vacuum the house? <laughs> yeah, 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 I did. I don't think she needed that. And here's why. Jesus' very existence was a miracle. Y'all know Mary wasn't Mary's first name. Mary's first name was the Virgin. Mary's her last name. Y'all are never going to take me seriously. No, no, no. Remember the story? Mary was 16 in her room. Writing in her journal, oh my gosh. I just can't deal with Joseph. Like, he won't call me back. Like, what is he doing? Oh, 
All of a sudden, an angel walks in. Mary, favorite of the Lord. You're going to have a kid. <laughs> You're crazy. I'm a virgin. I can't. Don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit is going to do it. And 10 months later, she had a child. His birth was a miracle. Her first encounter with Jesus was a miracle. If her first encounter with Jesus was a miracle, of course she could believe that he was able to do miracles because he was a miracle. Well, that's good for Mary, but I didn't give birth to Jesus, so, so I can't say that that's the source of my faith. Yes, you can, because listen to me, your first encounter with Jesus was a miracle also. The fact that you lived the way that you lived, that you thought the thoughts that you thought, that you said the words that you said, and your eternity is still heaven, and is still grace, and is still truth, and is still sitting next to God the Father. The fact that you're a Christian is a miracle. And the fact that you're a Christian is enough evidence that if he can save you, of course he can do anything else. In, in, in the Bible, it says that they brought a paralyzed man to Jesus because they wanted Jesus to heal the paralyzed man. I love how Jesus would just mess with people. Like, they're bringing a paralyzed man, cannot walk. They are carrying him. They bring him to Jesus. Jesus looks at the paralyzed man, and he says, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Good to see you guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Pastor's going to end on time. He promises. Hold on one second. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I don't know if you got enough rest, but uh, he didn't come for his sins to be forgiven. Jesus, he's paralyzed. He came to walk. What'd he come for? He came to walk. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. Why do we come to church? Because my marriage needs fixing. Because I'm discouraged. Because I'm depressed. Because I'm paralyzed in my soul. I, I need something. There's nothing wrong with this. Why well, I came to church. I, I need God to do something. I need him to fix something. And he looks at the problem and says, your sins are forgiven. And so I was like, thanks. Um, now what about my legs? <laughs> and look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 5. He says, for which is easier? Listen to me. Jesus doesn't ask questions that he doesn't know the answer to. If he's asking a question, it's because he's trying to make a point. He said, for which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Don't miss this. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. They said, who is this guy who thinks he can forgive sins? And he said, you don't think I can forgive sins? He said, let me do something easier to prove to you that I can forgive sins. Get up and walk. What was he saying? He said the hardest thing for Jesus to do was to save Stephen's soul. And if he could save my soul, there is nothing that he cannot do. The fact that you are a Christian, a follower of God, he has already done the most difficult thing for him to do. And if he can do that, there's nothing that he can't that's why David prayed this prayer, God, restore the joy of salvation. Never let me forget what it's like to become a Christian. Because if I could remember what it's like, I remember.
remember like it was yesterday. I was a pastor's kid. I played drums. I, I, I printed out the bullets and I did all the church stuff. I was in church. I just wasn't a Christian. You know you can go to church and not be a Christian, right? Like, oh, I go to church. I'm a Christian. Every car in a garage doesn't make that car a garage. Just because you're in the place doesn't mean you are the place. I remember being in church and just saying, man, I don't get it. Why are they crying? Why are they worshiping? And I was living this kind of pastor's kid. You know how they have these rumors about pastor's kids. They're all true. It's not true about my kids, but I was just, you know, living this double life. I was in church, you know, worshiping God, and I was out on the football field and cussing and acting a fool and all that kind of stuff. And anybody who's lived a double life, you're one thing at church, another thing in private, one thing around this group, and that's stressful. Like, sometimes you, you forget, so I'd be on the football field praying the Lord's Prayer, and I'd be on the drums cussing because I was forgetting <laughs> where I was. <laughs> and I remember one day I was in my room. I hate to say this. I didn't get saved in church. I got saved in my room by myself, and, and I was just, just like, overwhelmed and exhausted, depressed and discouraged. I said, God, if you're real, if you can do anything about the mess that I've made, I'll give, I'll give my life to you forever. And in that moment, I physically felt guilt and shame lift off of my heart. For the first time in my life, it did not matter what anyone else thought of me because I knew in my heart that I was accepted by the only one that actually mattered at all. The Bible says never forget that moment. You know, sometimes we've been saved for so long, we, we forget how cool it is to be a Christian. And he said, if you forget how awesome it is that I call you my child, that I actually claim your ratchet tail, then you're going to lose the faith that if I could do that, I could do everything else. The disciples went out, and they were um, casting out demons and healing the sick and all this other kind of stuff. And they came and said, Jesus, like we prayed for the sick, and they got healed. Jesus said, Pfft. In Luke chapter 11, verse 20, he said, nevertheless, don't rejoice over that. Don't get excited that spirits are subject to you. He said, don't get all excited that you prayed for somebody and that God healed them of cancer. He said, here's what you should be excited about. Rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven. He said, if you can remember that I saved you, you can have the faith that there's nothing that I can't do. Isn't it amazing how we can trust God for our eternity, but we can't trust God for the next job? That's backwards. Like, what's more important, you being unemployed or you going to hell? Huh? I'll live under a bridge if I go to heaven at the end. We trust God that we won't go to hell, that he'll place us in heaven because of his blood. But we doubt that he's going to provide for us. He said, if I did that, aren't I? He said, if I did not spare my own son, will I not also freely give you all things? Faith starts with knowing that he can. The second thing is this. Faith goes on to knowing that he cares. This is a big one. Because we all know that God can, hypothetically. But do you really know that he cares? I remember when I was in college, it was my sophomore year. I was probably about 20, 19 around the time. and Life was just hectic. I was working, taking, you know, more than credits than I should have. Uh, I had a full-time job that I was working. I was driving back to Baltimore doing ministry at my dad's church. I was just stressed out doing a lot. Now, now that I laugh when a college student comes to me and tells me they're stressed. You ain't married. You don't got no kids. You got no bills. You talking about you stressed. <laughs> Somebody came and told me, he said, you have as much time now 
as you will ever have in your life, <laughs> like get it together. But I was stressed. I was just overwhelmed. And I think part of the reason why I was stressed because I was believing God for all these great things, and I wasn't seeing anything. It's like my life was stuck. Looking back, I realized I was in a sowing season, not a harvest season. And the seeds that I was sowing, I was going to reap later on. But then I was just like, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, God, why have you forsaken me? And one day I'm late for work, running down the stairs in Easton 6. Anybody from College Park knows Easton was the projects. No air condition, no carpet. I don't even know why they put people in there. But I'm running down the steps and I have my books in my hand and I have my sewn. It was one of those palm, you know, those smartphones. I mean, as big as a brick sitting on top of my books. And I come around the corner and I trip. I'm the only person who can trip running down the stairs. And my phone goes flying. It hits that wall, bounces off the wall, and goes flying down the next flight of stairs. When I get to what's left of my phone, it's in like four different places. And please don't judge your pastor. I'm a lot more uh, stable now. It was just, you know, you had a bad day. You know what I mean? And you just like you drop your food, and then it's like God doesn't love me. And I'm not ashamed to say this. I cried, y'all. In that stairwell, Easton 6, I was weeping. Like, nothing could go right in my life. Scraped my phone together, and I was a courier. I drove, so I needed my phone to hear where I was supposed to pick stuff up. So I scooped my phone out. I worked in Annapolis, drove out to Annapolis, went to Verizon Wireless, and I walked in. I was like, is there anything you can do? My phone doesn't work. I kind of like pieced it back together. And the, the guy said, come back in an hour. I'll, I'll see what I can do. And by the way, this is a long story. I bought the phone off of eBay because I couldn't actually afford the real Palm because it was like $600 plus, but I wanted a cool phone and, you know, like whole computer just sitting on your hip. So I went and got a refurbished one off of eBay. So there was no warranty, y'all. There was no record from Verizon that, like, I bought it from them. So I go in there. I come back in an hour, and it's a long line, and I'm standing in line. And the guy comes out from the back. He's like, oh, come, 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 come. Hey, man, I couldn't fix your phone, but, but we, just, we just gave you a new one. It's upgraded by, like, five years. Here you go. Have a great day. And he walks off. I cried again, y'all. I mean, I didn't make it to my car. I'm just weeping in Verizon. Is this guy okay? It's like... He loves me. He knows me. He sees me. God, I give you my life. We don't really believe that God cares about dumb things. Because we think it's dumb, so we think that he thinks it's dumb. Can I prove it? Because there's things that you worry about that you don't pray about. And what's prayer? Prayer is taking it to God. And I'm not beating you up. You know how I preach. I'm just talking about my life and we all just jump under the bus together. <laughs> there's certain things that I'm just like, this is too small to pray about. It's just, just dumb. Like, who cares? Like, me and my wife will go on date nights, and, you know, we, we, we want to go to a place that we enjoy. And, and we're like, man, we can't go back to that restaurant. That was trash and this and that and all this good stuff. And I'm not sure about her, and she probably has a lot more faith than me. I've never prayed about a date night before. I've never prayed, God, help us pick a great restaurant. God, help us have a great night. Because that's dumb. <laughs> like, don't pray about it. Just go have a great date night. 
even if it's not, just have a great night. Like, I mean, <sighs> go back to that verse. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 says this, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Okay, God says don't worry about your life. I automatically think don't worry about your destiny. Don't, don't worry about, about who you're going to marry or, or, or are your kids going to be healthy or how God's going to use you. or how you're gonna, Don't worry about life. Listen how God defined life. What you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. God didn't say don't worry about destiny. He said don't worry about the dumb stuff. What you're going to eat. What you're going to drink? What are you going to wear? He said, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about life. Go to the next one. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? God says, hey, I care. Here, here is the message. Y'all ready for the whole message? Here it is. God cares about dumb things. Like, he cares. He said this. He said, uh, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. If you were here two weeks ago, we were talking about sowing and reaping and how it's an act of faith, believing that God's going to increase what we have. What was he saying here? He's saying birds are not spiritual. They don't store in barns. barns. He said they have no faith and they have no wisdom, and yet they ain't naked. He said I clothe them and I feed them. And they're insignificant. If I take care of insignificant things, he says, how much more will I not take care of everything that concerns you? If you're concerned about what preschool your four-year-old is going to go to, pray about it because he cares about it. If you're concerned about when your kids are going to meet friends at school this semester, pray it. He cares about dumb stuff. Philippians 4, 6 says this, be anxious about little things. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. <laughs> Everything does not give, like, everything. What does that mean? Whatever crosses your mind. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, God, I thank you that you care about dumb things. Let your request be made known to God. Pastor, that's good, that's good, that's good. But I don't know if God really, really cares about, like, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your upon him. Pastor, I don't. He cares! For you. It's there in black and white. He said, I care. And when you're approaching scripture, there's this, 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 um, approach in theology called the law of first mention. Basically what the law of first mention states is if you want to know God's original purpose for something, look in scripture and where it's first mentioned is where it's defined. That's why we know that marriage is between a man and a woman. Because the first time it was mentioned in scripture, God defined it as such. And as created beings, we don't have the ability to redefine what the creator created. Side point for a different point. When Jesus turned water into wine, it's the first miracle that Jesus did. And by it being the first miracle that Jesus did, he was trying to show us his approach to miracles. Tracking? 
So the first time Jesus showed us that he can do miracles, he raised the dead because he's a God of life. The first time Jesus did a miracle, he cast a demon out of someone because he's a God of freedom. Hmm? No, 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 no. The first miracle that Jesus did was to make sure that the party didn't stop, but that the party kept on. It's the first miracle, y'all. And I've heard people preach dumb stuff. Well, you know, back in the day, they didn't have, like, refrigeration systems. And the only thing that they would drink was, like, fruit drink. And because it was hot, it would ferment. And that was the wine that they drank. It wasn't like the wine y'all get turned on. It was just fermented juice that they'd put water in. And it was how they survived. So Jesus was actually just multiplying their survival. No. Don't give me that. You're stretching. <laughs> because the only thing you need to survive is water. If he was concerned about your survival, he would have said, fill the jars with water. Give them water. They can live off of water. You can live with water. You can't party with water. And God says, I don't need them to have water. I need them to have wine. Because they cared about it. What was he trying to prove? That if you care about it, I care about it. It's not this... Well, who's going to get saved because you prayed that prayer? If no one's going to get saved, he won't answer it. Not true. Because he's a good father. He says, I care about my children. And if there's something that's stressing my kids out, I care about it. Any parents in here, you ever seen your kid just discouraged? You know what I mean? You go up to him, you talk to him. What's wrong? My friends at school, they won't talk to me. They're in like third grade. You know that I know that we know. They ain't gonna know them friends like six months from now. <laughs> them friends don't mean a hill of beans. And some of y'all, well, I got the same friends since third grade. That's a concern, but never mind. <laughs> but as a parent, you know that's dumb. You know this time next year, it's not, they're not even going to remember it. But because they care about it in that moment, if you're a good parent, you care. Yeah. Your father cares. Third thing is this. First thing about faith is you got to know that he can. Second is you got to know that he cares. The third thing is, and this is, this is, this is, this is the linchpin. You got to know that he will. It's one thing to say that he can. It's one thing to say that he cares. It's a complete different story to say that he will. No, no. It's not just that I'm hoping God's going to give me a new job. It's not just I know that he can give me a good job. I know that he will give me that job. What we call faith is not faith, y'all. What we call faith is actually fiction. It's actually fantasy. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is wishing that things work out. Now faith is hoping. Now faith is seeing the things that are... No, no, it says now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So hope is not bad. Hope is just not faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is tangible. Faith is being certain God will do this. Can, can I just, can I talk in a way that's going to make it tense? 
Faith is not God can heal cancer. Faith is not God cares about people who are sick with cancer. Faith is God will heal me. That's a different ballgame. Can I be real? That's scary. Because I know he can, and I know that he cares. But I can't say I'm certain that he will in this situation. And I'm afraid to stretch my faith out that he will. We're just talking now. Because if he doesn't, I don't know how to deal with that. Because I know that he can. And then I know he cared about this person because he did it for them. So if he doesn't, I don't know where that leaves me. And here's what we do. We prefer to leave it ambiguous under your will be done than to take that risk of, no, 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 no. Not your will be done. I'm believing that you're going to do this. I'm extending my faith for this. I love Mary. Mary said, Jesus, we have no wine. Jesus responded by saying, woman, what does it have to do with me? And by the way, he wasn't being disrespectful. In that time, woman is how they would say ma'am. So he was responding politely but impersonally. He didn't say ma. He said, ma'am, what does that have to do with me? Look what Mary did. She didn't respond. She turned her back on Jesus and looked at the servants and said, anything that he tells you to do, do it because he's going to do it. She wasn't asking him. She was certain that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. Faith is the only way that God has access to do what he wants to do in our life. Wasn't Catalyst amazing last Sunday? Was that not nuts? If you miss Catalyst, the next one is coming up next one. My mentor is actually coming who taught me the presence of God and the power of God, and it is going to be amazing. Do not miss it. August 24th, 6 p.m. But this past Catalyst, we were uh, uh, in worship, and they were singing the song, His Great Name. And I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing. But um, we, we play that song in the car all the time. It's my two-year-old's daughter. or three. She turned three yesterday. Uh, Zoe, uh, it's her favorite song. So every time we're in the car, she's like, Daddy, Daddy, turn on the song. And she'll sing it. He loves to... I said, Daddy, turn it up. I can't hear. It's like blasting, cars shaking. She's like, Daddy, turn it up. I said, that's my daughter. <laughs> but they were singing in a catalyst. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is Zoe's song. It's always never been in catalyst before. So I ran to Destiny Kids because I wanted to bring her in just for the song so she could, like, hear the song. And, and, and I said, what classrooms is she in? And she told me what classroom to go to. And I, and I went to the classroom. And I don't know if my daughter was having a meltdown or something like that. But the children's worker was actually holding her at the door. And I'm like, this is perfect. I said, hey, 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 Zoe, uh, I want to take my daughter in. Uh, uh, to listen to this, her favorite song. And the Destiny Kids worker, <laughs> homegirl didn't move. <laughs> she didn't even flinch, y'all. Now, I get it. Destiny Church, it's, it's, it's a big church, and, and there's no way that you're going to know everybody. Like, I mean, people go to different services. Some of y'all don't know this. Your ex-boyfriend goes to 130 service, and you didn't even know that. You just keep coming to 10. But <laughs> there's just people that you are, you're just not going to know everybody. But there are certain people at Destiny Church 
that I think everybody knows. Everybody knows Sean. He's on the keys. He plays. We see him every Sunday. You know Sean. You, you know Mandela. He leads worship almost every Sunday. You know the preacher, y'all. You know the preacher. Like, like maybe she's new. <laughs> Made it through Grove Track, serving on kids, but she's new. And I said, yeah, that's my daughter. That's Zoe. And she stood at Flinch, and she said, do you have a ticket? The song is almost over. She said, that's great, and I understand that, but we're not allowed to release to you what's yours unless you have a ticket. Y'all, I made that kid. Okay, I had a, a strong part to play in it. I didn't make it back. That was my child. It belonged to me but I still could not get what belonged to me because I did not have evidence in my hand to receive what was rightfully mine. Healing belongs to you. Freedom belongs to you. Miracles belong to you. The windows of heaven belong to you, but you can't get it without faith. Why not? Because God gave you the earth. Remember the law of first mention? First time God mentioned mankind, he said this, be fruitful and multiply. Take dominion over the earth. God says, did you know that God can't just invade the earth and do whatever he wants to do? Like the only access God has to do something on the earth is through your faith. And he says, I want to do it, but I can't until you give me permission by extending your faith. And what's faith? Faith is, God, I know you can. God, I know that you care. But God, I know that you will. I hate to be that pastor, but pastor, how do I know that God will come back next week? <laughs> Over the next three weeks, I'm going to teach you how to not just read something in the Bible and say, hey, God can, but how do I know that he will do it for me? Can I, can I just talk? I always do. And I'm not picking on people, but I'm just kind of walking through. Some of you are believing for a spouse. And God can't give you a spouse because you haven't extended a specific faith. You're just like, God, your will be done. God, I'm believing for a wife. Well, son, there's about 3.2 billion women on this planet. Now, most of them are married, so you can't have those ones. But you're going to have to be a little bit more specific than that. You gotta extend your faith. Some of you doctors have told you that you'll never have children. I have a close friend of mine who in January, they told him you're not producing as a man what needs to be produced, you're, you're not gonna have a child. But he's a man of faith. They're in their second trimester with a healthy child. Like some of us are blaming the state of our lives on the will of God. And God says, that's not my will for you. I long to break into your situation, but you got to extend your faith. Hebrews 10.35 says this, so don't throw away your confidence. It brings a great reward. You need to endure so that you can receive the promises after you do God's will. In a little while longer, the one who is coming will come and won't delay. But our righteous one will live by 
faith. He said, pray without ceasing, but live by faith. And my whole being won't be pleased with anyone who shrinks back. But we aren't the sort of people. Destiny Church ain't the type of church. We're just not the sort of people who timidly draw back and end up being destroyed. We're the sort of people who have faith. We're the sort of people who have faith. We're the sort of people who have faith so that our whole being are preserved. Here's what happens. You believe God. You extend your faith. Ah! Seed, time, harvest. If you miss it, go on and watch the Catalyst message. In that time period, the enemy is going to send everything he possibly can to convince you that God won't do it. And if you don't have a faith to hold on to, I am convinced that he told me he's going to do it. So let the doctor's report come back and say it's three times worse than it was before. I don't care because I have a faith that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Let the economy come back and say that there's no jobs available for anybody and people your age, your degree just can't find a job. I don't care because I have faith of what he said that I'm going to do. Let God them say you have cysts or whatever it may be. You'll never have a child. I don't care because I have a confidence that the one who created me and saved me and said that he's going to do it has promised me that he's going to do it and I won't back off. God says if you have faith, you will see some impossible things become possible in your life. Father God, we're so grateful that you said in your word that to each and every one of us, you give us a measure of faith. God, I pray over these next three weeks, God, that you'd build our faith, a faith that produces. Right where you are, with your eyes closed and your head bowed, maybe you're watching online. The one question I want to end with is, have you put your faith in Jesus for salvation? What does that mean? Putting your faith in Jesus is a little bit further than just believing that he can save you. It's a little bit further than believing that he cares about you. It's actually believing that he will step into my life. That he will take over. That he will take every step from this point on. That I'm no longer controlling things, but God is the one controlling things. If you're in here and you say, Pastor, I can't say that I've ever put my full confidence in Jesus. But I want to. I want him to be my Lord and my Savior. Right where you're sitting, can you pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus. Today, I put my hope, I put my trust, I put my confidence in you. Thank you for dying on the cross so that sins could be forgiven. That was for me. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church, can you celebrate for every single person that just made the greatest decision? Thanks again for tuning in to this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.